Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Ilana DeRay, a financial reporter with Activist Insight. And this month, we're asking, how did AT&T appease Elliott Management so soon after the activist made demands at the company? Why is Bonitas Research sticking to its short thesis at Rural Funds, despite the agricultural REIT's extensive rebuttals? What can we expect from Callaghan Partners after its first two campaigns? But first, a look at the historic significance of the proxy fight at Darden Restaurants, five years after Starboard Value completed a successful board sweep at the firm. Five years on and Starboard Value's victory at Darden Restaurants is still a warm memory for many in the activist community. The 2014 proxy contest marked the first time an activist won a full board sweep at a Fortune 500 company in a battle not explicitly tied to a takeover bid. The win led to a period of sustained value creation at the firm and solidified Starboard's reputation both inside and outside the financial world. Joining us today is Activist Insight Editor-in-Chief Josh Black, here to tell us the lasting impact of the Darden campaign. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the show. How has Starboard's success at Darden influenced other activists? So I think the first thing that we see in retrospect is the number of activists that advanced similar demands to Starboard and other companies really increased dramatically. So the proxy season before the Darden situation, there were 110 activists making demands for board seats, the removal of the CEO, uh, spin-offs, so on. In the year of Darden, there were 138. In the year after, there were 199. And it stayed at pretty much that level trending down one or two a year ever since. So really, it accelerated the ambition of activists. It certainly encouraged more players into the space. And uh, many of them thought that they could pull off a similarly grand turnaround. How does the Darden situation serve as a warning to other companies facing activist investors? The one piece of ephemera that everyone seems to remember from the Darden situation is this analyst note Uh, that came out on the day that Darden announced they were selling Red Lobster. Uh, And this was expressly against the thesis of Starboard's public letters to that point. Um, It was in the face of a consent solicitation that Starboard was running to call a special meeting to vote on the idea of holding a, a shareholder referendum on the sale of such a significant asset. And the analyst put out a note saying, who knew lobsters had middle fingers? And after that, The idea that a board would do something expressly against the wishes of shareholders and against what an activist was saying uh, without testing the idea at a vote or getting sentiment from their shareholders in some way really became almost unthinkable. I mean, there were there were certainly examples of companies that felt they had to do things and, and test the water on things, but no one seemed to do anything quite as irreversible as that and surprise the market. That led to a huge increase in engagement between companies and their shareholders. The rise of the index funds over the past three or four years probably accelerated that even more than Darden. Um, but certainly the very fact that Darden and its board face such severe consequences for going against the express wishes of shareholders uh, made 
a lot of boards scared to act unilaterally and uh, made them much more responsive to their shareholders. Have any activists succeeded to complete a full board sweep since Darden? You could probably find one or two examples, but nowhere near the same level, you know, either of market cap or stature as Darden. Full board contests have a long history. Before the 1990s, they were the default method of shareholder activism. The rise of the short slate is one of the many factors of this modern era of activism. And you often see full slate situations around hostile takeovers. Not many hostile takeovers are successful or go all the way to a vote. You know, if there is likely to be a success, there'll be some kind of agreement before it gets that far, I think. You do still see activists nominating majority slates, seeking majority slates. It's a very tough ask to run a full board slate because you're really saying that having any of the directors on the board and any level of continuity would be bad for the company and your nominees have to be exceptional. There have to be exceptional circumstances and it's it's really just unlikely. It is notable that in the Darden situation, Starboard added a director uh, from the original board to deliver some level of continuity, and they picked an insider as the CEO. So uh, you can see in that situation, the, the elements of continuity did help the activist, and I think that has carried over into other campaigns. Thanks for being here, Josh, for our next report. Callian Partners is a prime example of the convergence between shareholder activism and private equity. Founded in 2017, the firm was the brainchild of Carlyle Group alum David Johnson and Icon Enterprises veteran Samuel Merksamer. The original goal of Calgan was to try to leverage our experiences across different asset classes, distressed debt, private equity, activism, to take advantage of different opportunities that present themselves across both public and private markets with the goal to always be an active owner of assets, Johnson told Activist Insight Monthly. Merck Seamer has since resigned to take a position at SoftBank Investment Advisors. Since its launch, Callaghan has successfully settled two board campaigns at Knowles Corporation and AMAG Pharmaceuticals, making a name for itself as a serious player in the space. At Knowles, Callaghan partnered with Rick Gerson's Falcon Edge Capital to push for two board seats, arguing that the firm should sell its precision devices unit. At AMAG, Callaghan launched a consent solicitation for four seats, contending that the company lost its focus and currently has a questionable pipeline. In the end, the activists settled for two seats at both firms, with Johnson joining the AMAG board. It's not an easy accomplishment to drive success two for two right out of the gate, said Ellie Klein, a partner at Schulte, Roth & Zabel who worked with Callaghan on its campaigns. They've been quite successful and impressive in terms of putting together a fund and pursuing campaigns in an effective manner. Johnson told activist Insight Monthly that he anticipates launching about two or three campaigns a year, potentially advancing more proxy contests and mixing private equity with activism in a similar style to Elliott Management. He added that the firm raises capital on a deal-by-deal basis. We firmly believe that public equity activism and private equity are beginning to merge, and the deals we pursue will continue to reflect that philosophy, he said. 
AT&T's ambition of becoming an integrated media and telecom giant has survived the first salvo from Elliott Management. In late October, the company agreed to a three-year action plan to improve overall performance and corporate governance. Elliott took on AT&T, one of its biggest ever investments, in September. The activist wanted the telecommunications giant to simplify its business, arguing that most companies today no longer seek to assemble conglomerates. Specifically, Elliott said AT&T should stick to the core wireless business where it could position itself as a leader, particularly with the rollout of 5G. Elliott also said a divestment from AT&T's Latin American wireless and media businesses, as well as potentially DirecTV, would improve performance. In mid-October, AT&T sold its Puerto Rico wireless and wireline assets, and at the end of the month, it exited its stake in Central European media enterprises. AT&T said the company is unlikely to see more than $10 billion of divestments in 2020, but CEO Randall Stevenson promised there would be no sacred cows. However, Stevenson also said DirecTV will be an important piece of our strategy over the next three years. AT&T committed to revenue growth of 1% to 2% per year and adjusted EBITDA margin of 35%, two percentage points higher than 2019 levels. The company also said it will continue a modest annual dividend growth, with dividends as a percent of free cash flow, of less than 50% in 2022. Elliott's intervention was reportedly prompted by AT&T's plans to give the top job to current chief operating officer John Stinky next year. Although, if he is planning to become the top dog, he will have to wait until at least 2021 as part of Stevenson's new plans. The settlement increases pressure on AT&T to deliver results over the long term and proves that Elliott can be patient with its investments. Typically for settlements with mega-cap companies, no formal agreement between the two sides was signed, giving Elliott flexibility to publicly apply pressure anytime. While Australia-based Rural Funds says its conscience is clear, U.S.-based short seller Bonitas Research is accusing the Real Estate Investment Trust of using diversionary tactics to avoid the truth of its fraudulent activity. The short seller claims on August 6 that Rural Fund's leadership siphoned assets in excess of 86 million Australian dollars over the past five years. Shares in the REIT plummeted 42.1% the day of publication, before trading was halted for that day. They have since recovered some of their losses, but still traded down 26.2% on November 7th. Rural funds denied the allegations and engaged Auditor EY to assist in an independent investigation, which concluded that Bonidas's assertions were not substantiated. Bonidas was not satisfied. Buying an independent review from any auditor, big four or otherwise, to act as a clean bill of health is a common diversion tactic used by fraudsters to try and increase investor confidence without giving additional disclosure about its business, Bonidas founder Matt Weikert told activists Insight Monthly. Rural funds also went a step further and sued Bonidas in Australia for its deliberate and malicious publication of the short report alleging that the fund had suffered loss and damages from the allegations made. Weikert labeled the litigation another predictable diversion tactic to avoid discussing the facts highlighted in our report. Bonidas is considering a defamation action against the company and remains short the stock. 
Rural Funds, however, asserts that all asset values recorded in the firm's accounts are accurate, appropriate, and supported by independent valuations in the audited accounts. Rural Funds rejects entirely the unfounded allegations of financial impropriety and irregularity contained in the Bonitas document, James Powell, Rural Funds General Manager of Investor Relations and Marketing, told activists in Cent Monthly. And now for some stories that didn't make it into the magazine. Scott Ferguson's Satcham Head Capital Management is reportedly planning to push education tech company 2U to consider a sale. The activist believes 2U would be an ideal target for competing education tech companies or private equity firms, Bloomberg reported. 2U works with a host of U.S.-based universities, including Yale University and Northwest University, to launch online master's degree programs. Shares in 2U leaped 15% on the day of Satcham's position. The activist's exact holding is unknown, but sources said Satcham will use its stake to push 2U to explore strategic alternatives. The news comes nine months after activist insight vulnerability reported 2U is susceptible to shareholder activism due to its lackluster valuation, unpopular directors, and poor capital allocation policy. Elsewhere in the news, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission proposed new measures to protect companies from shareholder resolutions, potentially limiting various submission thresholds that have proved invaluable in the past. The SEC proposed a longer threshold for the time investors must own a stock before they can introduce proposals. Shareholders that have a $2,000 stake will be required to wait three years before being able to make submissions, but those with at least a $25,000 position will be able to file proposals after one year. In addition, the SEC wants to modernize the resubmission thresholds to 5%, 15%, and 25% for matters voted on once, twice, or three or more times in the last five years. Proxy advisors like Institutional Shareholder Services and Glass-Lewis would be required to hand over any voting recommendations to management twice before sharing it with shareholders. The news comes after the SEC issued new guidance on the use of proxy advisors in August. The SEC had said it considered proxy advisor recommendations to be a solicitation of proxies, exposing the advisors to anti-fraud provisions, and said investors should ensure that they are aware of any potential conflicts of interest. ISS retorted that the guidance exceeded the SEC's regulatory authority and filed a lawsuit to prevent the changes from coming into effect. November's proposed rules were met with opposition from Democrats on the SEC, who are in the minority, and there is likely to be a pushback from the proxy advisors. However, it was applauded by the Business Roundtable, which viewed it as a win for issuers. America's business leaders are pleased that the SEC took this important first step to address problems identified with proxy advisory firms, Alexander Cutler, chair of BRT's Corporate Governance Committee, said. These firms exert significant influence in the proxy voting process and should be subject to appropriate oversight. That's all for this month's episode of the Activist Insight Podcast. If you like what you hear or want to read more, you can subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com. For comments or questions about the podcast, or if you want something discussed on a future episode, please email press at activistinsight.com. 
please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana DeRay. Thanks for listening.